And uh, we're approaching Easter, and Lent is the preparation for Easter. So we're going to do some things for Lent this year, just to get us ready for that special time. Matthew 27, 12 to 26. But Jesus made no reply, not even a single charge, to the great amazement of the governor. Now it was the governor's custom at the festival to release a prisoner chosen by the crowd. At that time, they had a well-known prisoner whose name was Jesus Barabbas. So when the crowd had gathered, Pilate asked them, Which one do you want me to release to you? Jesus Barabbas or Jesus, who they call the Savior, the Messiah? For he knew it was out of self-interest that they had handed Jesus over to him. While Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat, his wife sent him this message. Don't have anything to do with that innocent man, for I have suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus executed. Which one of these two do you want me to release to you? Barabbas, they answered. What shall I do then with Jesus, who they call the Messiah? They all answered, crucify him. Why? What crime has he committed? But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. When Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but that instead an uproar was starting. He took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd. I am innocent of this man's blood. It is your responsibility. All the people answered, his blood is on us and on our children. Then he released Barabbas to them, but he had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. Check. You probably already heard this this morning, but good morning. We're uh, going to get started with a little bit of worship, and uh, if you are able, uh, why don't you stand with us, and uh, we are going to uh, have a little bit of prayer before we enter into worship. Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you for this morning. We thank you for the wonderful things that you uh, have given to us, and um, we just ask that uh, as we worship you, God, let us have open hearts and minds and allow uh, the Holy Spirit to just invade us and to... Just show us what we need to what we need to see of you, and uh, so that we can diminish ourselves and just bow before your throne. We just ask that you uh, your name be glorified in this place. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Amen. Joy of 
It's filled with His glory. Holy is the Lord. God Almighty. The earth is filled offering this morning. Hallelujah. Praise you, Jesus. You're worthy of our praise, Lord. We're going to teach you a new song this morning. It's, um, when you, uh, I thought about, um, as we're leading into Easter, I was thinking of material that, that sort of resembles the emotional pullback from what we initially feel when we think about Jesus dying on the cross for us. And a lot of times we tend to think, oh, it's such a horrible experience to know that our Savior died for us. We can see the tragedy and just the, the feeling of sadness that our Savior died. But there's also joy and happiness in the fact that because of that, we receive salvation. And that's something to be joyous of. So this song is entitled Happy Day because Jesus washed away our sins. So we're going to sing that, and it's a little bit of upbeat, so we're going to need your help.
praise you, Jesus. Hallelujah, Lord.
seated. Yes. That's you, Don. The ushers. <laughs> They're waiting for me. Let's pray together. Reading from Malachi, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. Father, we thank you for the gifts that help to keep this house uh, running to pay the salaries to do the things that uh, we love to do to meet our community in ways that no one else is bless each one who gives today Lord and as we test you you will do abundantly more than we could ever ask or think and we thank you in Jesus name amen
Good morning. Good morning. Wow. In case you weren't here earlier for a most dynamic announcement, um, next week, set your clocks back. It's that time of the year. Uh, more importantly, March Madness is approaching. And if you don't know what that is, shame on you, Canadians. We invented this sport. Represent. Um, I was at my, uh, my son. My son made it to the championship game for, his, uh, for basketball yesterday. And... Yes, nine-year-olds competing for it all, yes. The drug testing after was um, unbelievable. And they lost bad. But they were playing this team where all these kids, like the, the shortest kid on the other team was taller than everyone on their team. So I was still proud of them that, you know, Lex really could only like clean navels while he was playing. And it was, it was a good day. But uh, we're starting a new series it's called The Real Jesus. And what we're going to look at is often when it comes to Christ, and you read about him in the Gospels, or you hear about him, you, you, you've seen pictures of him, we have these preconceived notions and ideas. And even sometimes we read through these things and we're like, what is that? Or why is that even included in there? And we're just going to kind of peel back the onion in a couple spots in the book of Mark and, and look at who is this guy? And by discovering that, you'll actually find there's something here for you. And, and it actually can do something for you. And it can actually change the world around you and make a much bigger difference than you ever thought that could. So we're going to move right here into the text to Mark chapter 3. If you're new to the Bible, um, we have Bibles in the seats in front of you. You'll be able to follow along. Um, if you have your notes, you can follow along in there as well. We'll have it jump up on the screen. We're trying to reach everyone through every technological advancement we can. Mark chapter 3. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. So like we talked about last week, that's like the Liberal Party and the Conservative Party getting together um, to, to take this guy out. And Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the lake, and a large crowd from Galilee followed. When they heard all that he was doing, many people came to him in Judea, Jerusalem, Edomia, and the regions across the Jordan and around Tyre and Sidon. Because of the crowd, he told his disciples to have a small boat ready for him to keep the people from crowding him. For he had healed many, so that those with diseases were pushing forward to touch him. Whenever the evil spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. But he gave them strict orders not to tell who he was. Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed twelve, designating them apostles, that he might be with him, that they might be with him, and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. These are the twelve he appointed. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter. James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, to whom he gave the name Boanerges, which means sons of thunder. Can you imagine getting called the sons of thunder? That, yeah, those are, those are the brothers who didn't get along when they were kids. Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Elphius, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who... Betrayed, betrayed him. Let's pray. God, thank you for this word that you have preserved 
the thousands of years that people have died for, that people have copied meticulously in such a spirit-ordained way um, over and over again. And today we, in this, in this country, we're so blessed to have this text, to hear your very words. And they're the eternal words, and they're words that can still, uh, are just sharp as any two-edged sword, can still pierce to our hearts, can still transform us. And as we read these words, may we not just see this as, as some book, but this is our story. And today as we talk about um, what it means to have a new identity, what it means to have a new name, help us to participate in that process. Help us to understand more and more what our name means and what you mean to us. Thank you for the infinite sacrifice you made possible all those years ago in order that our names may be permanently placed in heaven with you forever. Thank you. Bless our time together. Um, God, just uh, give peace to those that are restless. In your precious name, amen. All right. I was, I was five years old, living in North Carolina, and my brother had some friends over. And I may have been bothering them just a little bit. I doubt it. You can't prove it. But maybe just a little bit. And they started calling me names. And it really hurt. And so I ran in the house crying to my mom. And my mom gave me some really good advice at the time. But it wasn't true. And she said, sticks and stones can break your bones. But names can never hurt me. Man, thanks, Mom. Thanks for that great advice. Thanks for that. Thanks for that. Names will never hurt me. Anyone like being called names? We got one at the back. Fantastic. Director names there after this. No, I'm just kidding. But no, and when someone calls you a name... What happens? It tends to, I don't know if you're like me, it takes up rental space up here. I still remember those names they called me when I was five years old. Josephine Gerlachek, things like that, you know? Things that are just hard to recover from. And now don't you go disagreeing with my mama today, even though she might have been wrong, but I would definitely say name calling can hurt a lot more. And for a lot longer than sticks and stone. And so we come to this story here, and, and Jesus, as we even talked about last week, he's like permanently alienated the ruling class. But it's right here in the book of Mark, it's like he's at the apex of his popularity. I mean, the crowds are just, this is like a European soccer game. That's the atmosphere we're getting to here, where, where even, in, we don't notice it so much in the English, but in the Greek, it's like these crowds are almost violent in this violent trampling state. That's how intense it's getting. It's getting so filled with people, so crowded. He's getting so popular. Jesus just reaches, uh, cuts across all of that, and they're about to violently trample here. It's getting dangerous. It's getting quite quite scary and how does he respond to all that he goes up onto a mountain and he starts naming 
and renaming people. What's that all about? I mean, what does that mean? I mean, we tend to read these, especially here in Mark, we tend to read this section, just gloss over this section and keep on going because I mean, some of the pronunciations are a little bit tricky. But one of the ways that the real Jesus you may not see, one of the ways he acts he, is that he transforms people by giving them new names and new lives. Now come with me. We're going we're to go back in time like we did last, last week. We're going to go back into the Old Testament. We're going to go back to Mount Sinai. And we're going to go back to, uh, uh, you got Israel. They've been rescued out of Egypt. God uses Moses, leads them across the Red Sea. They come to Mount Sinai to get the ten, ten words or ten commandments. This is like God says, I want you to be my people. If we want this marriage to work, I'm going to give you ten rules for how to have a great marriage. And they arrive there, and we read about this story in Exodus chapter 20, verse 7. I want to read you this text here. Exodus chapter 20, verse 7. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. So there's three central ideas in this command. So let me give you three Three quick Hebrew words here. The first Hebrew word is tasah. Let me hear you say tasah. That means to carry, to take. A second word in this commandment is saw. Let me hear you say saw. It means in vain or nothingness. And then there's a third word, shem. Let me hear you say shem. Shem means name. Now in Jesus' day, there was this sense, there was this idea that you would have this incredible... This idea of culture, there was this incredible reverence for God's name, God's secret, holy name. If you said God's name, you could even, the idea was you would bring disaster upon yourself. So the ancients, instead, instead of saying God's name, they would refer to him as Hashem. Let me hear you say Hashem. Very simple. Ha means the. And Shem means name. So wherever you went throughout the ancient world amongst the Jewish people, they referred to him as the name. Hashem. This idea keeps growing here in the scriptures. Let me take you to Exodus chapter 23. Uh, yeah, verse 20. See, I am sending an angel ahead of you to guard you along the way and to bring you to this place I have prepared. Pay attention to him and listen to what he says. Do not rebel against him. He will not forgive your rebellion since my name is in him. So not only was this name not something you would use in a common fashion, this name also began to, to get uh, mystical attributes to it. It began to have all these other sorts of powers and ideas. Here you see this messenger has God's name in him. Let me show you another one. Uh, Deuteronomy. Chapter 12, verse 11. Then to the place the Lord your God will choose as a dwelling for his name, there you are to bring everything I command you, your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, your tithes, and your special gifts, and all the choice possessions you have vowed to the Lord. So in Exodus, the name is placed in a messenger. In Deuteronomy, the name is a place where it lives. 
What? Let's keep going here. Psalm chapter 20. I love this stuff. Pastor, it's too early in the morning to be doing this. Wait till next week. It's going to be an hour earlier. All right. Uh, Psalm chapter 20. May the Lord answer you when you are in distress. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. So here in Psalm 20, the name isn't like something that's placed somewhere. It's something that does something. Let me show you another one. Isaiah chapter 30. We could do this all day. Uh, C. Uh, the name of the Lord comes from afar. With burning anger and dense clouds of smoke, his lips are full of wrath and his tongue is a consuming fire. So the name, it's like this thing that's capable of moving around. When Isaiah the prophet here is speaking of the name, it's something like that comes from afar and what does it do? It brings justice. This name does stuff. Does your name do stuff? Look, here comes the name of Joe. No one ducked, okay? <laughs> Micah, chapter 4. Let's do another. Further up, further in. Micah, chapter 4. All the nations may walk in the name of their gods, but we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. So even here, it's something you can live in. It's a place you can live inside of or outside of. So what name do you walk in? And so, so we're reading, it's just, just a couple passages. It's like the, God's name is something that's placed in messengers. It's a, place, it's, a, it's a place to live. It does stuff. You can live in it. And you're like, yeah, 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 yeah. That's back in Bible times. That's all superstitious stuff. We are 21st century contemporary, technologically advanced Etobicokeans. We don't believe in that nonsense. Names no longer have power. Would you agree? No hands. Okay. You're very bright and sophisticated and smart Atopococians. Yes. Yes. Names have just as much power now. People, companies, uh, billionaires, they spend billions and millions and thousands of dollars paying consultants and people to even think of names for their company. I throw this symbol on the screen, and you say, I throw this symbol on the screen, and you say, well, the name's there, too, so I made it really easy. Yeah, but, but, yeah, absolutely. Companies, consultants, they come together, and they, they realize names have power, and they, and it's, and they do this, and their products, and, and, and people do this. Do you realize this? Check, check this out. Tell me if you know this name. I think I got it here somewhere. Demetria Gynus. Anyone know who that is? Demi Moore, the famous actress. I'm, I'm dating myself here, but she's famous to me. Most, some of you may be like, who on earth is that? Uh, what about this one? Gordon Matthew Sumner. Sting, the rock star. Doing okay. Some of you are like, who was that? But that's fine. Okay. <laughs> Marion Michael Morrison. John Wayne. The, always usually, 
you can't be a cowboy and have the name Marion, can you? <laughs> Maybe nowadays, yes. Yeah, yeah. But even they understood that changing your name has power. Things haven't changed. I mean, some cultures encourage people to get their name, their identity from what? From their family. And so you have families like uh, the Donaldsons and um, the Swansons and the Neversons, and it means son of... And then if you go to like Norwegian countries, a lot of their names end with dotir, which means daughter. So in case you don't like the, you know, the patriarch thing, you got the matriarch thing, and it means daughter of... Because a lot of us, our identity and our, and our, that's passed on us, we get our identity from our family. And so, so some of us, we've grown up with the idea that my worth and my value comes from my family. And for other of us, we're conditioned. It's all about career. And if I don't get this job or that job, I have no identity. I have no name. You got to build a name for yourself. You got to build a brand for yourself. That's how you get it. That's how you know you're distinct and you're unique. I mean, one that I see all the time is with, is with athletes, you know, they're, um, oh my word, it's been a while. Oh, I'm old. That's what, I, that's what happens when you got an old ball. But with athletes and me having, I used to be able to do this back in my old days. It's a lot harder with, with lights in your eyes. But, uh, but with athletes, oh, don't clap, that was pathetic. It just, but this just proves my point. Athletes have a short life. They have a short career life, don't they? The body starts to get out. The index fingers don't spin balls like they used to. And with athletes, so many of them become lost by an injury or a short career. Because when their career's over, they become lost because that whole identity was in being a Laker. And they're lost. They had built their whole brand and everything around that. Some of us, Joe, none of that applies to me. I'm a father. I'm a mother. I serve the poor. I make music. Whatever names you owned you. Whatever names you owned you. That means if you fail or if you lose... You lose that identity. There's no you left. You don't have a stable identity. And we've grown up in this world. And we're told, build your life on that. Build your name on that. Except our world's not stable. That identity, building your life on those things, is not stable. And for all of us, we need a stable core, don't we? We need a stable identity, and we don't have it. And we ultimately find out that whatever humans name, there's a limit to how much power we have in naming things. And so Jesus comes along here in Matthew chapter, sorry, in Mark chapter 3 and says, I can name you. I'll give you a name. I'll give you a name instead. I'll give you an identity. And I'll give you an identity. You know what? It can handle whether you're wealthy or whether you're poor. It it can handle love and it can handle betrayal. It It can handle anything. 
And here it says in this text here, it says the apostles got names. And here's what I'm saying to you today, too, is Jesus wants to give every one of you here today a name. Ephesians 2.10 says this, You are God's craftsmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, prepared beforehand for you to walk in. I mean, this, this passage is so chock full of pictures of metaphors. The word workmanship, it's where we get the word po poema, which means poem. You are a work of art. You're the Lord's work of art. I mean, think about that. You're a work of art, and of course it's valuable. Of course it's beautiful. And, and more, more so, a work of art is an expression of the inner vision of the artist, and that's you. You've been created, you've been made for something, some good work. It's been prepared for way beforehand for you to walk in, and everything that has happened to you, I mean, we, we didn't choose our gender, gender, did we? I mean, people are trying to, but you didn't choose your gender. You didn't choose your nationality. You didn't choose your parents. You didn't choose your troubles. And all those things are just brushstrokes. And, and, and the artist, the great creator, he's taking his hammer and his chisel, and, and, and he's using that hammer and that chisel and that brush to make you exactly the way he wants you to be. And he's like, I can give you unique purpose in an identity that can survive anything. Anything. Do you want that? Because whatever you build your identity around, it owns you. And if you build your identity around anything the world offers you, it will jerk you around. It'll jerk you around. Look at, this, look at this passage here, if you do have Mark 3 open. Billions of people today know the names of 12 mostly fishermen. There's been great kings, incredible heroes over the last 2,000 years. But forever, these 12 names will be remembered. They will not be forgotten. Those names will never perish. And Jesus is like, I can give you a name like that. And some of us are like, how is that possible? I haven't even accomplished anything yet. I'm just reading from the text here. He appointed 12, designating them apostles, that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. These are the 12 he appointed. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter. James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. To them he gave the name Bowen Heritage, which means sons of thunder. Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. And it says here he designated them apostles. That means he named them apostles. But he also said he appointed them twelve. Now that's, an, that's, that's a nice English word. But I don't know, translators have had a really tough time with that Greek word. They have a real, their hands are kind of tied with translating it, but here's what the word means. It means created. It means created. It says he created 12. It's the same Greek word that's used for a, an artist making a piece of art. 
He made them 12. In other words, he didn't look at the 12. He didn't say, hey, hey, guys, you got what it takes. You got what it takes. You got what it takes. That's not what he did. He said, he didn't say these guys how it takes. And, he named, and so he named the apostles. No, he gave them what it took. He gave them what he took. He didn't recognize that they had what it took. He gave them what it took. And so when Jesus names something, it has power. So if you're ugly and Jesus names you beautiful, guess what you are? You're beautiful. You got it. And he will do that. And if you're, not, if you're weak and Jesus says you're strong, you're... And he'll do that. In other words, Jesus has the divine power to call into being out of nothing that what he names, and he names it. Hebrews 12 says this, You have come to the heavenly Jerusalem, to the church of those whose names are written in heaven, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and his sprinkled blood. See, Jesus, and it's a metaphor here, but Jesus' name was blotted out. So that our names could be engraved where? In heaven. And sure, that's, me- that's a metaphor, but it's a wonderful metaphor. The Bible's telling us that Jesus is a priest in heaven. Do you know what? If you go back to the Old Testament, if you're ever, st- if you're ever um, struggling to sleep at night, read the second half of Exodus, but it gives you all these details about the high priest. And, and his garments and how to make his garments and one thing you maybe have seen pictures of the high priest it's kind of like a, a you know a very very cool ancient barbecuous kind of outfit with the apron and everything but one thing that's absolutely fascinating is the ephod and the breastplate and do you know what these stones represent they represent the people of israel the children of israel and there's all sorts of different symbology and stuff like this. But once a year, the high priest would go into the most holy place. No one else could go into it. Tradition has that they tie a rope around his foot. And, and if you notice, the bottom of his apron has bells on it. But according to tradition, if they didn't hear the bells ringing, the priest was dead, so they had a way to pull him out. But he would walk in once a year in front of the Shekinah glory of God, God's very presence, and guess what God would see? The names of all his people. The names of all his beautiful creations. The names of all the people he loves. And he would see that, and he would see absolute beauty and this is the picture the writer of hebrews is trying to get across because of what christ did on the cross his blood being poured out on us when you and i say yes guess where our names are now they're on christ so when god sees christ he sees our names and guess what we're beautiful and we're precious and we're gorgeous and we're strong And we can rejoice because our names are written up there. And if you can get that into your head, if you can get that into your heart today, you become like Teflon. Because nothing this world throws at you will be able to stick against you. It'll just fall off because, you know, God delights in you. And and, and when things are, are, are going well, 
and life is great, it won't go to your head because your identity and your name comes from who? And when life sucks, you're not devastated because your worth and your value comes from I mean, growing up, I was taught, don't, I'm going to get all legalistic here for a second here, so just pardon me for a second, but growing up, I was taught, don't use God's name in vain, or God's last name ain't damn it. Maybe you've heard that one, and, and I was always told, you got to revere the name, don't make the name common. I have found, especially in the church, I can, it, it drives me nuts sometimes when I see the amount of Christians who use OMG in their texting and in their language, but then I, I start to feel a lot more like those Pharisees we talked about last week. But I think the picture here, as we read these texts today, and was really about God's name and God's greatness, that's not the point of using God's name in vain. I think the bigger idea is because of what Christ's done now, his spirit, God's spirit now resides on who? on us the sure that sure there's a name thing going on there but the greater issue is it's not about am i swearing the greater is issue is am i swearing with my life because the way the world is to know who god is is through who and god's like hey 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 don't make my name look bad you wear it you wear it you're the way i'm going to transform the world and the issue isn't about swearing so much as uh, uh saying it out verbally the issue is are you swearing i love this passage here in, in, in three john six they have they have told the church about your love please send them on their way in a manner that honors god it was for the sake of the name they went out receiving no help from the pagans I mean, some of us are sitting around directionless and not sure what to do and, and trying to find purpose. And you wear his name? And, and then there's some of us who are like, God is so big, God's so great. I sing out to God. I adore God. God is the greatest. And then you're concerned about what someone thinks about you or you're worrying about tomorrow? And you wear his name? See, when you read this passage and you're confronted with a real Jesus and he names you, he wants to name you, and you don't just see Jesus naming people. He's not just here naming, he's also sending them. And if you look at this passage in, in Mark here, it's like if you stand back a little, you also realize, okay, yeah, he's naming them and then he's sending them out into the world to liberate people. And to free them from what binds them. And, and, and to serve people. And this is exactly what every Christ follower is supposed to do. It's, but what's that got to do with identity? What's that got to do with naming? Everything. Whenever anyone comes to me and says, I don't know what to do with the rest of my life, go serve. What does that, how's that going to help me get my identity? How is, how is you running off and going? And Jesus is saying here, if you, if you try to find yourself, you won't find yourself. The metaphor I like so much that's helpful there is, have you ever listened to your own voice on, an, on a recording? And it doesn't sound like you. Does anyone know what they sound like? 
No, you don't. Because it never sounds like you. You need what in order to find out who you are? Others. You need to hear from others, or in, in this case, even by going out and helping and serving others, you find out who you are. And, and the picture here, the idea is here, here is, and, and we can really mess this up because we can get so busy serving that we actually forget about relationships, but it's by serving other people and helping them get released and get freed up to figure out who they are. That's where you find yourself. And that's what Jesus is getting at here. Pour yourself out for other people. Help unleash other people in the things that bind them. And when you lose yourself, you will find yourself. And you'll get yourself. You find yourself through, through, through helping others, helping unleash others, unleashing things that bind them. And then you'll find yourself. You know, help, helping feeding the poor is okay. It's good. But helping the poor in spirit find hope in a personal God. That's where you'll find yourself. He who finds himself loses himself. Just a couple other things here. Why 12? Why does he take 12 up here in the mountain? And, and we are just talking about this, but it's, it's only through, and big idea here, it's only through community that you'll see the mess you are and you'll go to Jesus in repentance. And it's, that's the only way you're going to become the person that Jesus wants you to become. Uh, yeah, it's through ministry. It's through community. And there's one last thing here when he takes them on the mountain, that they might be with him. And that's the language of intimacy. He appoints them to be with him. And that doesn't mean, hey, show up on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday from 10 to 1, and we'll, and, and, and we'll have a relationship. We'll, we'll, we'll have a life like that. Show up on Sundays at, you know, 1045, and, and, and that's all you need to do. He wants an intimate, personal relationship. And I don't, I, I know, if you don't experience that intimacy with God, Christ, every day, I don't know how you're going to protect your heart from being named by other things in this world. Your work is going to name you. Your family is going to name you. Your career is going to name you. Your, your schooling is going to name you. Without that, I don't know. If you're not in ministry, in community, in an intimacy with prayer, you're not going to be able to do this. But when you do those things, you'll begin to see who you are and the things that God made you for and the ways in which he loves you, and you'll get that identity. I love, the, I love this passage in Luke, and it's a parallel passage to the one we did here in Mark today. And so Jesus sends his disciples out two by two, and he gives them power to cast out demons. And they come back, and they're so excited. Wow, look, Lord, even the demons listen to us. That's got to be pretty sweet. It's like, they're like locked, loaded, good to go. And he doesn't party with them. He says actually this, No, rejoice not that the demons are subject to your name, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. So they're coming back, they're like, hey, we're famous. Hey, look at the big thing we did. Everyone's noticing us. Woo! Everyone's going, hey, there's the guys who cast out demons. And Jesus is like, don't you dare rejoice in that. 
Don't get your identity from that because tomorrow the demons may not come out to play. That's not the identity I've given you. Rejoice that your names are already written in heaven. They're already in the book of life. You're already citizens of heaven. You're already famous. Dan, can I invite you up? I want to ask you a quick question. But will you stay with me? Is that okay if you can? I got a question to ask you here. Um, do you think the disciples finally got this? And can I get everyone to stay with me? Because we're going to read the text in a second, if you're able. Wake you up here. Do you think the disciples ever got this through their thick skulls? I mean, for those of you who've been in community groups for the last few weeks, we've been working through the book of Mark, and we see lots and lots about the disciples' journeys and adventures. Things don't seem to be sinking in, do they? I think some of us can relate. Let me read you one of my favorite passages. And it comes here from Acts chapter 5. And it says this. And it's a great account. Jesus has, uh, Jesus has died, he's resurrected, and then he's gone up into, into eternity. He's ascended, and then his disciples get arrested. And they're told never to preach again. Let me read this from Acts chapter 5. His speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Anyone know what flogging is? So, so what they would take, take something like a long cord or a whip, and they would attach metal and glass and other things to the end of it, and the goal of a good flogger was to expose the spine. So a good flogger will get your spine. These guys get flogged. And as they're leaving, what are they doing? They're high-fiving, I think, in first century Judaism. They're rejoicing because they got to suffer for the name. And I thought as we respond today, how many of us rejoice because of God's name being on us? Rejoice even when the sticks and stones and name-calling come our way. How many of us are giving each other high fives and saying, yes, we got to suffer because of the name of Jesus because we know our identity is not here. We've been named and called by him, and it's there up in heaven for eternity. Is that not worth turning to your neighbor right now and giving them a high five? Can we do that? And then let's respond with singing. Mm. Mm. Happy day, the greatest day in history. The greatest day in history. Death is beaten, you have rescued me. Sing it out, Jesus is alive. An empty cross, an empty grave. 
I realize I'm playing in the wrong key. <laughs> I was gonna ask but we're still know. joyful this morning. <laughs> right. We'll try that again for the second verse. We're doing our best. <laughs> when I stand in that place, free at last to take face to face. I am yours, Jesus, you are mine. And the joy, perfect peace, earthly pain. fiving <laughs> earlier like just so canadian um, so i'm feeling a little bit distressed with your response this morning so in benediction and huh. benediction may you go this week as you walk in the name of jesus and may people who throw sticks and stones at you and call you names may and those you encounter that just make 
life difficult this week because you wear that name. May you stand and high-five your believers around you and rejoice for being able to suffer in the name. Go in peace.